0: Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And we are back. Kevin's Corner on Monday, August 22nd. A whole lot to get to on this podcast as um, joint practices wrapped up with the Lions. Preseason game number two with the Lions roster cuts are coming as we record this the Colts are still yet to make their moves to get down to 80 that is due by Tuesday afternoon and then the final cut to 53 coming a week from Tuesday I've got up on our website my latest 53 man roster prediction so make sure to check that out Eddie Garrison is back with us here on the pod Eddie I caught you and Jim Leisure on Friday night a little Westfield new pal. Great job on the call with that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Busy weekend for you.
1: Yeah, it was. I had the game Friday night, and then uh, Colts all day Saturday was able to take a Sunday off. So
0: Now are you doing another high school game this Friday?
1: Uh, I am off this Friday. Brendan Cup. King will be back. Um, but then I am back on the call on Friday, September 2nd. That is Lawrence North at Lawrence Central.
0: Ooh, that is a big one up there in Lawrence Township. Had the pleasure to substitute teach at both those schools during the pandemic and that's a rivalry to yeah say the least and ellen got a win over avon did lc win in week one do you
1: uh, i can't recall cannot recall the
0: bears of lawrence central there um well nice well great work in all seriousness
1: thank um, you i appreciate uh, it. it greatly listening. Cole Ballard looked pretty good.
0: Yeah, Chris Ballard's son, right? Yeah, Starts he's got a he's got
1: a strong arm, and you could tell it was his first varsity start, and he had some inexperience. Like a couple throws where it was behind the receiver, and it was just it was timing. A lot of it was timing in terms of problems with Cole and finding his targets. But he's got a really really strong arm. He threw it, I think, it was like a forty five yard pass from the left hash down the right sideline, and Ooh. just
0: on an absolute rope. Yeah, I was like, whoa. Well, speaking of big arms, that is something that we can get into on today's podcast. Um, really good for Sam Ellinger in the preseason game and a lot to um, touch on that front. So I do want to get into that. Let's briefly talk joint practices before we recap the actual preseason game with the Lions. Um, going back to last Wednesday, Eddie, I thought it was a extremely good day um, for Alec Pierce. Um, I thought what stood out to me about Pierce specifically was he won every single one-on-one route, uh, one-on-one rep, I should say, with Matt Ryan. And he won it on three different routes. And that, I think, is a question with him. Is he just kind of a one-or-two-route pony? Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a little bit more. And, yes, it's a Lions' third or fourth corner. But, again, these are the things that you want to see from him. And you saw that. Um, there's zero panic when the ball's in the air with him. Everyone, I think, by now has seen the highlight from those joint practices of the... Uh, 11-on-11 red zone touchdown that he had.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The guy's just calm and just knows how to contort his body and does a beautiful job. And kind of parlaying that into Saturday, I know it's just one catch and his only catch in the game, but I thought that catch was something to note on Saturday. It's Nick Foles checking it way down short of the sticks. I think it was like a third and eight, third and nine. When Mm -hmm. Pierce catches that ball, I mean, he's four or five yards from the six to to get the first down and keep that drive alive, and he breaks a tackle and turns it upfield and makes a play after the catch. And these are all things with Pierce that you just want to see. Can he do a little bit more than just high point the ball outside the numbers? He can spark you with one catch, certainly, but can he do some of the other stuff to round out the game? Um, So I thought Pierce had a really nice day. Um, And in general, the passing offense was a really good Wednesday. It was the first time all camp I think I'd walked off the fields at Grand Park in a full padded session and thought that was a good day for the Colts passing offense. Thursday started off pretty well, uh, but it was a tough finish. They really struggled in goal line, and they um, were not good in a two-minute drill to end practice either. Um, And I guess that's a question do you have kind of moving forward of like, all right, from a depth in the trenches standpoint you know I'm not going to put a ton of stock into Saturday but it is something that you should note I I just for how much Chris Ballard emphasizes it I feel like you're not maybe as good there as you would like um so I think that's something um, to keep an eye on I, I thought you know it was just one of those things where the Colts looked like they were about two-ish wins better than the lions. Those kind of my takeaways for two days. You know, golf had some moments. I didn't watch it defense as closely as I did the offense. Golf definitely had some moments, but it, it looked like a team that is probably gonna hover drafting the top ten in the Lions and a team that's gonna be right there for a playoff spot with the Colts. Um so if you're looking for a little bit more detailed analysis from those joint sessions, I've got those up on the website. Anything practice wise, Eddie, I know you weren't out there, but anything you heard or saw that you found interesting
1: uh I heard that Braden Smith held his own against Aiden Hutchinson he definitely did but I also saw that there were a couple times where Aiden got the best of Braden.
0: yeah I thought Braden Smith did a nice job I thought Hutchinson was a hair quiet I mean I get it he he's a rookie um I thought Matt Pryor a little shakier and I was curious is that why he played on Saturday is it just in general his left tackle inexperience for why he played Um, Danny Pinter got got beat a few times. We saw him play center on Saturday in that game. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, going back to that goal line session I mentioned in Thursday's practice, just not a lot of push there. So, you know, I'm not worried about the offensive line, but I think we got to this point, Eddie, where we just chalked up the O-line as being elite Mm -hmm. and just kind of forgot about it and almost took it for granted, and I don't think it was that last season. There were injuries that played into it, Braden and and Quentin you know, being hurt. But now where are you at with that position? Is it still just a boom, chalk it up? It's going to be back to being an elite? Is it middle of the pack? Where are you with that O-line? I think that is something I have to continue to watch.
1: Yeah, and then especially if somebody goes down, I think that depth is really thin.
0: Yeah, and super unproven. Super unproven. I, I I don't know if I mentioned this on the pod, but I was looking up last year your backups on your O line in that first month of the year, you had five backups account for seventy-three career starts. It's a big number.
1: Yeah, we talked about it last week that nobody at in a backup
0: had started. Right. and game. just when you compare it to last year, it's much different. Every- now Dennis Kelly, when he gets back to health, right, will assume you you, you assume he will change that, but uh, that's something that uh, it's just a little bit bit different than where you were at this time last year
1: i know we're on a time crunch so you want to hop into things that you liked and things you didn't like
0: yeah let's do that and then we'll get to uh get to twitter questions
1: all right the things you like run offense and run defense
0: things i didn't like yeah correct sorry yeah yeah um let's start there i mean it was bad in the first half and continued in the second half i mean you were what less than two yards per carry i mean hell i think you were barely over a yard per carry in the first half and then in the um, second half you were or excuse me, in the um, run defense side of things, you were over five yards per carry allowed. So um, I get it. You didn't play many starters. It does seem like Detroit has a decent offensive line, but for a team that prides themselves a little bit more on the run game than most, I thought that was a disappointing aspect to the game. Uh, The other thing I think I'd mention, Eddie, would be the coverage units. I thought your kick and your punt coverage a little bit lacking there. And we've touched on this occasionally over the past handful of months, but I think it's worth noting, you know, if you look at guys that played, and I guess I'll just pull this up right now, but if you look at the guys that played the most for you on special teams last season, not a lot of them are back. Matthew Adams, the most, Mm -hmm. gone. George Odom, the third most, gone. Ashton Doolin's the fourth most. Your question there is, is Ashton Doolin going to play – you know, more as a guy on offense, so then his special teams role is limited. Uh, you go a couple names further down the list. Jordan Glasgow, gone. You know, played a lot of snaps on special teams. He's gone. So basically, you're just finding different special team guys, core guys. Um, and while you didn't play a lot of frontline starters in the game on Saturday, you did play the guys that you would think would play on special teams. Um, so. That is something that I think you've just noticed a few times now, and I get it, Jake Verity kicked and he's not going to kick off in the regular season, uh, but that's something that was a bit concerning to me.
1: Yeah, I could see that because, you know, field position battle is always something that is one – you can win you the game and it can lose you the game, obviously. Certainly. Um, But from that perspective on the special teams, I think think EJ Speed will get some more run on special teams this year because I think you're going to have to need his – hate for the pun here, but his speed on special teams to get down the field. And then uh, I think Doolin doesn't have any other chance but to be more active on special teams because, like you said, of the amount of people they've released or let go, you need need some experience on there. And uh, he's a Pro Bowl caliber kind of special teamer if Matthew Slater is not in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and I thought another kind of special teams question I had entering camp was like, Growing role for Naheem Hines, growing role for Isaiah Rogers, will that impact their return duties? It seems like both those guys will, will be the returners. Again, Rodgers out right now yeah. with a concussion. Um, but, you know, when you talk special teams, and it's such a strength of this football team, and, and Jim Merce alluded to that when he met the media last week, it's been a little shakier in the preseason than you would like.
1: Seems like Bubba Ventrone has his work cut out for him.
0: Yeah, he does. I mean, some core guys again that are that are no longer with that group. All right, things you liked. Injured guys showing something and
1: the low hanging fruit of Sam Ellinger.
0: Yeah, let's start with the injured guys showing some I thought it had a big sneeze coming, but it is not appearing. Um so we'll see if that happens. Uh, let's start with Taekwondo Lewis. You know, he's a guy that hadn't played since Halloween and I don't need to go over that play. I, I brought it up earlier today on the show that he got hurt on. But just what a huge play in the season mm-hmm. when he went down and it's the interception. You're up 14-7, and now I'm getting into the play. so I apologize. But that was a patella injury for a guy that, of all those second-round picks, and I guess I grouped Terrell Basham in there, but of the Terrell Bashams and the Ben Banagoo's and the Kamoko Turries, Tyquan has always been the, win healthy, he gives you something. Today I kind of compared it to like a poor man's Denico Autry. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's versatile. Um, if he's healthy for 16 games, pencil him in for a handful of sacks and some plays behind the line of scrimmage. And I thought he had a nice year last year, but he's had injuries, and that's a serious injury that he's coming back from. Didn't play in the preseason opener, so I thought it was good to see him on the field. Uh, made a beautiful read of a screen and a tackle behind the line of scrimmage on a third down there early in the game. Played a decent amount. Played inside, played outside. I think if you're going and playing a real game tomorrow and you're looking for a four man rush group in Gakwe, Pei, and Buckner, obviously you're gonna be part of that group. Mm-hmm. I think Lewis is ahead of Dayo Dengbo as the fourth guy within that group. Um, so I thought really big for Taekwond Lewis. I'm sure mentally an element of that as well, but I think just important to send to that coaching staff, hey, you know, I can still do it and can be versatile. I mean, it's a new defensive staff. I think mm-hmm. that's something that you have to acknowledge as well. Um, so I thought good job there by taquan Lewis. The other injured name to, uh, to point out here is definitely Mike Strawn. Um, I don't know if you saw this because you, you're producing the radio broadcast, but the TV copy showed, I thought, a great clip um, yeah. of he makes that touchdown catch and then all of a sudden – Mike uh, or Matt Ryan comes over to him on the sidelines and kind of slaps him. I don't know if it's in the helmet or in the, in the chest. I kind of forget at this point, like, that's what I'm bleeping, talking about. You know, th- <laughs> that was a feeling that, that I got I'm I'm putting words into Ryan's mouth, but it was one of those moments of like, dude, we need this from you. Yeah. Cause if you think about what Mike Strawn has done so far, it's been with Nick Foles, you know, hasn't yet been with Matt Ryan. It's been a really good first week for Strawn. I mean, Frank Reich said after the game, We didn't know if he was going to get back before the start of the season.
1: I know. It makes it all much more like I was talking about this with uh, Scotty Johnston during the game. I was like, this is so weird. Like, he comes off a pup. He's a full participant on the very first practice he's back. He's playing in the same week he comes off pup, and he's dominating. Like, what in the world?
0: I I was very surprised to see how active he was. There were a couple drops in, in the joint sessions. I should point that out. Um, but there are also some really nice plays. It just affected. He got into 11-on-11 11 11 right away. He got into the game. He had the touchdown. Both those balls, I'm talking about he caught three, two of the deeper ones. Great balls by Ellinger. But I thought Strawn did nice job. He was somewhat closely guarded to make a play there. He created a little bit more separation on the touchdown to haul that in. Uh, but I think that was just a moment from Matt Ryan to him of, let's go, man. Like, you know, we need someone to emerge in this group And if you think back to last preseason, Strawn had some nice moments, but I don't think we saw anything like we even saw on Saturday Mm -hmm. from him. Um, So I thought Lewis and I thought Strawn, you know, Patman had a nice afternoon as well, but I think Strawn's the one that really needed it more considering his health situation. Um, The other thing I like obviously was Ellinger. And I want to focus here, Eddie, on Sam Ellinger, the player, and really what Sam Ellinger did in making the jump from last year to mm-hmm. this year. I've always thought Ellinger had an opportunity to just be a, and as we say this, I see Nick <clears throat> Nick Mullins traded for a seventh-round pick. Someone asked me about, you know, would you, does Ellinger have trade value? I mean, how many games has Nick Mullins started in the NFL?
1: Ooh, that's a good question.
0: I, I guess a handful right around there. You know, And, and that's for a seventh-round pick. I think that just goes to show you Sam Ellinger has never thrown a pass in the NFL. Oh, gosh, he started a lot more than a handful.
1: He started like half a season for San yeah. Francisco a Twice. few years ago.
0: 17 career starts for, for Nick Mullins. Um, all right, I don't want to deviate too much into Sam Ellinger's roster spot right here. I want to focus on the game. His growth as a quarterback, and the Tom House impact of things. Basically, if you watch Sam Ellinger's post-game press conference from Saturday, it's like half Bill Nye Science Fair moment Yeah, about explaining everything he's done differently with his arm, with his throwing motion, the mechanics, all of those things. It was really impressive to listen to because I always thought Ellinger had a pretty defined ceiling. Can you really grow in arm strength? And I don't want to act like... He's gone from 88 to 98 miles per hour. But I think he's gone from 88 to 91. Or he's just a little bit more confident throwing the ball with anticipation and fitting the ball into some windows that I don't think he would have fit in last year. The Patman touchdown, I mean, he gets smoked on that play Mm -hmm. and still delivers the ball downfield enough to where Patman is wide open and can make that play. And, you know, I've always been a big believer in this. to be fair, I, I I should say maybe it took me a few months to believe in it. I know there are a lot of people that, like, you know, the Colts, yeah, you know, but, you know, I, I don't care about the high character. Like, why does that matter? You know, blah, blah, blah. It matters in cases like this. Sam Ellinger, after year one, realized if I want to stay in this league and potentially grow in this league, I've got to do something a little bit differently. And yes, Chris Bauer told him to go to Tom House, but there was a willingness from Ellinger to be like, I want to work at this. I'm willing to do something differently. I mean, think about it. This dude had been the star of high school football, a four-year starter at the place he always wanted to go in Texas. He's always been the face of it. He's always been in the limelight. Like He easily could just say, I don't want to do anything differently. I I want to continue to be (laughs) this sort of quarterback. And who knows, maybe he could have a Chase Daniel type of career. But he was willing to do something differently. And that, I think, goes back to the high character of you look yourself in the mirror and say, where do I need to get better? And Ellinger did that. Um. So nine of whatever it was, 19 of twenty-two. I think he is in the preseason now. Four yep. touchdowns. I mean, all of it is very impressive. You see the teammates after the game tweeting about him. You know, Instagram posts those things. Like they they like him. And I always felt this with Ellinger. I do think he, even before this preseason, I always thought, can he be your backup of the future? If you get that out of your sixth round pick, that's Why great. Not? That's great. I mean, that is great for you. You know how much you pay those backups at some point. So if you can home grow that guy, keep him in your own building, um, I think that is big. Um, Having said all that, you have to acknowledge who Ellinger is facing in these moments. You have to acknowledge that he's really unlike a lot of third-string quarterbacks. Think about third-string QBs that play in the preseason. (laughs) They're not four-year starters at Texas No, very often. So, Ellinger should thrive to a degree with these situations. And, Eddie, he's built for it. It's backyard football. I mean, the old lines breaking down. They're falling over each other. They're tripping over <laughs> each other. You need a guy that can make plays. And there's been some plays from the pocket. But a lot of these plays have been outside of the pocket.
1: Yeah, the touchdown uh, throw to Patman was outside the pocket right. moving to
0: his left. Jelani Woods, week one yeah. in, in Buffalo, was outside of the pocket. Um so I, I do think you need to acknowledge that. Um let's wait for Twitter questions maybe to get into roster spot, those sorts of things. Should he be the backup? Um But I want to just give credit to Sam Ellinger where credit's due in that he has looked really good in these two preseason games. I probably haven't noticed as much as much of that stuff in the camp or in the joint practices with the Lions. And again, some of it is plays are often blown dead when you get outside the pocket, or you know it's just not much of a scramble drill as it is in a game when it's like, you've got to get that dude on the ground. Um, Sam Ellinger, to be honest with you, he's been through hell in his life. Um, From losing his dad to losing his brother right after he got drafted, been through absolute hell. And he, I, I can't even imagine going through that. I can't even imagine... Um, being away from your family during those moments as well. I know mm-hmm. he got married this past year. Just so many emotional, life-altering events that he's been through. Um, he's always had maturation well beyond his age, and uh, I'm just happy for him. He's a guy that you know. I think we can sit here and objectively cheer for, and still be critical when when we need to be critical. Um, so kudos to him.
1: Twitter question number one. Are you ready? Let's do it and Honito and conroy and a multitude of other followers for ukb uh, are all asking the similar question hey kevin sam ellinger made some big throws which is surprising considering the knock on him was his arm strength i know ballard loves his work ethic and this is preseason overreaction but could sam ellinger be the future at quarterback uh,
0: starting quarterback no no i i and this is where I think we just need to pump the brakes a little bit here. Like I understand Frank Reich's line of thinking, and Nick Foles is going to be the starter. I mean, Nick Foles had a nice opening drive on Saturday. Let's not act like Foles threw a pick six on the first play, and it looked like you know Scott Tolzien's first pick and against the Rams back in 2017. Um, this is still a six-round pick, and you have to make sure you acknowledge like what is on script and what is off script, because when you get into a starting setting in the regular season more of it is going to be can you play from the pocket they're going to game plan for you they're Mm -hmm. going to say keep him in the pocket like confine him into that area test the arm that's what they're going to do when they're game planning for you so i just think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on that um and i do feel like we we find this so often eddie with the preseason when bad things happen in the preseason we just chalk it up to be in the preseason Oh, you know, I mentioned earlier the Colts five yard over five yards carry allowed and and under two yards per carry produced. Uh, who cares? You know, it's a preseason; doesn't matter. Starters weren't weren't playing all those things. And then when good things happen, it's like, how quickly can you build the statue for that player? Yeah, it's like you got to find a little bit of balance in between that stuff and Agreed. kind of separate it. Um, I, I think Sam Ellinger can continue to be a nice third quarterback for you. I think he can take over it and be in the backup at some point in his career. Um you know as far as what you do with his roster spot is going to be interesting to me because I think your injury situation right now on August 22nd 8 days out of roster cuts is pretty good. Maybe you carry Shaquille Leonard and he misses a game or two, but that's really it. So you could have a luxury to stash on your 53 man roster. So often we think of stashing on the practice squad.
1: Um, you wouldn't be able to stash Sam there.
0: I, I, I don't know. You know, part of me thinks no, but then Eddie, I feel like we get Sam Ellinger type stories every year in the preseason and they just make it through waivers. And I know Chad Kelly is not the same thing. But <laughs> like, you know, he made it through waivers. The kid in Miami right now, Skyler Thompson, having a huge preseason. You know, yeah. like, is it just a market thing that we're talking about? And the Nick Mullins trade is interesting. I mean, Nick Mullins with 17 career starts in the NFL goes for a seventh round pick in 2024. Like, a Sam Ellinger as coveted as Nick Mullins? I would think not. Mm-mm. I don't believe... Mullins is going to the Raiders. Is that where he's trading? Or he
1: was mean, going from the Raiders to the Vikings.
0: That's it. So, is he the backup over the kid from a Kellen Mond, I assume so. Yeah. So, it's just... It's odd how valued quarterbacks are. I feel like when it gets to the waiver period, you don't see as much activity there with quarterbacks as I would maybe think there are with him. Um, And again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the thing with Ellinger that you have to keep in mind is when you get in the regular season, it's not as much backyard sandlot football as it is. You're going to be playing behind a better offensive line, and with him, I almost think that kind of exposes him a little bit more, again, because it's more from the pocket and those sorts of things. So um, I want to stress the credit to Ellinger, but at the same time, I do think Foles should— should be the backup. I, you guys know my line of thinking is I kind of like to turn to young guys. If there was a serious injury, maybe I would think differently. But for a guy that's missed one game in 14 years or whatever it is with Matt Ryan, he's probably not going to get hurt. And if he does, if it's late in the week, you probably just throw Foles in there because they're, they're similar. Ryan and Foles are similar versus Ryan and Ellinger would be a little bit different in how they look
1: next question comes from Rodney in your guys opinion uh does the performance of Mike Strawn and Dez Patman yesterday in any way at all alleviate some of the wide receiver depth questions at the fourth and fifth wide receiver positions for me yes the part I worry about is the top of the depth chart thanks gents
0: I think Rodney paints this pretty well again a fifth and a sixth wide out I mean those guys barely play Eddie in a game to me it's more of Can your number 2 and 3 wideout support Michael Pittman enough? Can they offset a tight end group that has some questions as well? That's where I have a little bit more of questions. And honestly, Paris Campbell, he had a big drop in the preseason opener. He had a big drop against the Lions. Reich's going to scheme some things up for him, but it's just like you want to see Paris be a little bit more sure-handed there. Um, One question I have with Patman and Strawn Eddie, is are you too big at wideout? Like, Ashton Doolin, first off, I think he's the fourth. I think Strawn and Patmon slide to fifth and sixth. I've always been a big believer in diversifying that room, diversifying what you have at receiver. You don't need all power forwards in there. Plus, and this is the technicalities of roster cuts that I think we oftentimes don't look at. We look at just fantasy football, what oh, yeah. they do for me as a receiver. Ashton Doolin has made this team for how many years in a row? Just because he played special teams. That is what you get into here with the fifth and sixth wideout. I've seen Patman and Strawn a little bit on special teams, and it's not like they've been super impactful when they've been out there. Mm -hmm. That's a question that I think you have to have with that group. So if you're making just purely a roster off of how does this guy look at wideout, yes, I could see them both being on the 53-man roster, but if you're trying to create a game-day roster, it's a little bit different. I think you could sneak Patman through waivers. So I think that's something to keep an eye on.
1: This question comes from Daniel. Where are the Colts going to be if they don't start 2 and 0 against the Jaguars and Texans? I see these two teams as must wins and anything less would be a disastrous start to the season. I don't want to think about it, but what if we start 0 and 2? Seats will be running red hot. Thanks for your time and keep up
0: the great work. Uh, Daniel, I appreciate that. Thank you for the question. Um the old must win label, Eddie.
1: JMV would be happy.
0: You no, know, he he would love must wins. Um Daniel, what if I said this to you? You're going to lose your first two games, but then you'll beat Kansas City, Kansas City and Tennessee the next two weeks. i <laughs> would be so Colts. You know, now I know some people would say, well, that would be two divisional losses versus one divisional win. I'd rather take the divisional ones. Like, basically, I'm saying, if you're a Colts fan, you'd rather them go one-on-one and then beat the Titans in week four. I mean, that's the game. If you want to look at kind of the first quarter of the season, that's the one that you think means even more. I, I get it. They're important because they're road wins, they're divisional wins. They are places in Jacksonville where you've struggled, and in week one you've struggled, and you've got tough games on the horizon because if you stretch it a week further out of week four, you've got that uh, Denver Thursday nighter on the road in week five. So I, I I understand where you're coming from, and, yes, the seat will start to get warm, but it's a beauty of professional sports. It's a beauty of the NFL. Seventeen games is a long year. Um, ideally, you would not be behind the eight ball again because this team has survived it a couple of times. But you know, sooner or later, it's going to kind of catch up to you if you continue to play behind that that eight ball. So, yes, seats would be warm-ish. But if you were able to turn it around quickly, mm-hmm. you know, you could salvage something.
1: I would agree with you there. All right, now, Steven is in my neck of the woods here. We're talking a little gambling with Stephen. Hey, Kevin, it's been a while. Kay. Starting to look at some betting props for the Colts this year and was wondering your thoughts on a few things. How many receiving yards for Michael Pittman Jr. this year? Currently sitting at uh, 1,025 0- 0- 1, and
0: a half. Oh, the hammer over, that over, the right? O-
1: the over would be minus 112 on the odds. Okay. Number two, how many rushing touchdowns for Jonathan Taylor this year? Uh, Right now sitting at 12.5, minus 126 for the over, minus 102 for the under. And number three, how many games do the Colts win this year? That is at minus 160 uh, at over 9.5. That is on FanDuel, all odds wrong FanDuel. Thanks, buddy. Looking forward to the season.
0: Thank you, Steven. Uh, Eddie, feel free to chime in. I'm hammering Pittman. Over. Taylor, I like the over. You guys know that I think touchdowns can get a little finicky. Exactly, you know, who gets the carries around the goal line. I just think Taylor's going to be healthy, and you feel pretty good about that. Um, I wouldn't love that as much as Pittman, probably. And and I do think the Colts would go over on wins, but minus 160, I mean, those are just horrible odds. Yeah. I Yeah, I, I kind of have the Colts right around 10 wins.
1: As do I. Um, I am also hammering the Pittman. I mean, think about last year. Carson Wentz. He had thousand eighty-two yards. You get an upgrade at quarterback, and the connection between Ryan and Pittman seems to be a lot stronger. Oh, yeah, he's got the, double
0: more almost triple more catches than anybody else on, on the team right now in camp.
1: And there's a lot of analytical sides to this. And like he was top ten in every um metric you want to look at for wide receivers in terms of defeating press, man to man, and zone coverage. I think there's a room there's a lot of room for Pittman to have a monster year. That's where yeah. I stand
0: i like that i like
1: that uh this one comes from ted yo kb kia ora from new zealand after ellinger's performance against buffalo and i'm gonna throw in this part and detroit is there any chance he spends more time with the second team what are the chances they keep three quarterbacks on the roster and can you envision a world in which ellinger is qb2 behind matt ryan or is this another case of Reich getting his man?
0: Keep up the great work and I never miss a pod. New Zealand, Ted. We're worldwide. Look at that. I love it. Hope all is well and always appreciate your dedication to the pod. Um, you know, I kinda hit on this a little bit earlier. I I think the culture in a roster position now that they could carry Ellinger initially. Now it might cost you a number at safety or wide out or Somewhere like that, but I do think they they could. And you know, it's one of those things, Eddie. Then if you get to like week four, and now you need that roster spot, that's when you could maybe sneak Ellinger when the hype isn't as much, you know, for him, as it is now. Um, I wouldn't lose like too too much sleep over exposing him to waivers. I'm probably a little bit more on that end of the spectrum than most. Um, I get it. You have invested a little bit into him. They have always thought more highly of him certainly mentally than they did Jacob Eason. Um, I tend to think these guys get through waivers. And, you know, the Nick Mullins reference we have made in this pod before. Um, So right now, eight days out, I'd probably have him on the 53-man roster. Um, Yeah.
1: I know we have a couple minutes left, but we have two questions, so let's try to fit them in. Uh, This is from Benji. Has the team ever rostered two kickers? Sounds pretty dumb, but Hot Rod is accurate in close range. But we could use a kicker with a stronger leg.
0: Yeah, I mean, I yes, teams have done that. I, I think it's such a waste, personally. Um, you know, I go back to the, the game early in the Reich era. They played a Thursday nighter against the Patriots, mm-hmm. and, like, they had 46 guys dressed, and by the end of the first quarter, I swear, they had, like, 42 healthy left. It's like, can you imagine if two of those guys were kickers? <laughs> you know, it's just... It, so, I... And Benji, with Frank Reich's propensity to go for it on fourth down, I mean the fourth and threes for a 53 yard field goal try he's going for that fourth down nine times out of ten mm-hmm. so i just don't think it's necessarily worth it in reich's eyes to do that i would say no on that um let me make a little bit of an audible do you do you see tanner's question if uh, not i will no. um, i will ask it um let's end with tanner because i haven't talked about drew ogletree here Uh, Tanner says this, with the unfortunate season-ending injury to Drew Ogletree, do you think Chris Ballard opts to keep an additional wideout? Part of me wants to believe Ballard would have kept all four tight ends on the 53, but he is content with leaving three on there and one available for a fringe wideout. Your thoughts? So Drew Ogletree injury absolutely sucks, Eddie. Um, Oh, yeah. Consistent. I mean, his story speaks for itself, but just consistent... Day in and day out, non-contact, you just hate that stuff. You see it every year in camp, but unfortunately it happened to him. I think you keep three tight ends, and I think you keep a six wide out, and maybe a fourth running back. You know, when you get into a fourth tight end or a six wide out or a fourth running back, again, the question first comes special teams before it gets to how much are they playing for you. If you look at Tree, I mean, his role, and the staff is incredibly high on him, but his role this year probably would have been a dozen ish snaps a game behind Moaley Cox, behind Kylan Granson. Um, so I think that's where team wise, I mean, if you're making a list of like the most indispensable Colts, I don't put him on the top 30, 35 on that list. So I don't want to like overreact too much to this injury. But you obviously feel bad for the guy. And then two. I mean, you think to a Dion Kane or you think to a Reese Fallon, you think to some of these day three draft picks that have shown something in camp and mm-hmm. then they've suffered season injuries, it can set your growth. Um, I don't want to write them off, but it, it's just a bummer. He loses valuable practice reps, game reps, those sorts of things. But as I've said all along through this training camp, you're almost a month into camp right now. And if you would have shown me the 53-man roster at the start of camp and show me it now... Shaquille Leonard's a question mark. And then I guess, like, Dennis Kelly and Drew Ogletree. I don't even know if I would have definitely had both of them on the 53-man roster. I think I would have, but, like, you're talking about your third tight end being done for the year, your swing tackle maybe being iffy for week one, and your star linebacker being iffy for week one. Health-wise, that's golden compared to where you're usually at this deep into camp. You got three days of practice this week. Your starters will play a half on Saturday, and then that's it. You know, you, you go back to West 56th Street. Um, but still, it was just it was tough to see. Michael Pittman immediately ran out there. As soon as he got hurt, yeah, you just feel for him, man.
1: Uh, we did the pod right after the draft, and I was pretty high on Ogletree. I don't know if you remember that or not. He yeah. was somebody that I...
0: And I was a little bit more skeptical, but yeah. mainly because I was just like, I would have gone two wide outs more than two tight downs.
1: Right. And when we talked about this then... When you compare him, like his metrics, size, athleticism, and the numbers from the, his combine, all very similar to Mo Alleycox. So, and he's got, and Mo talked about this with Dan when he was on with Dan last week uh, is that his rookie year, he came in and he got hurt. He missed the entire year. Uh, so he's, and I don't want to say that Ogletree has that advantage, but he has that avenue of somebody to talk to who's experienced. Sure. This sure and gone and, through it before
0: and again with mo you know that's probably you'd ask him maybe held him back just just a little bit w- with that so i think these are all things it just it's just a bummer that, yes again individually for him growth for him team wise your tight end depth was already being tested it'll be tested a little bit more but if everyone is healthy at that position i don't think he was playing more than you know 15 snaps or something like that here as a as a rookie all right, uh, we're up against it a little bit. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm still debating on, like, should we do a Monday pod to preview roster cuts, recap the Bucks game, the roster cuts the next day? I don't know if it's worth it to let a pod just live live for 24 hours and then you react on the roster. Right. Pod. So Eddie and I will talk about it, and we will figure it out. Everybody have a great week. Thanks for listening. It's Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.